Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, uh, for the second year in a row, Penn State undefeated at home. I hope we brought a change of clothes, because your eyes are about to piss tears. Yeah, and I... I what well, like, what's the, uh, like, what's the... Are, do you, you're not going for uh, relevance when you... Uh, pick John Ralphio quotes, right? You're just going for a John Ralphio quote. Yeah, I I mean, so few of his quotes really have significant relevance that it's kind of hard to go for that angle. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, undefeated again. That's what is it? Fourteen, thirteen games in a row now that they're un- that they haven't lost at home. I I want to say fourteen because I think it's seven and seven uh, each of the last two years. Uh, but that first number doesn't really matter because uh, the second one matters more. Uh, the zero, not the 13 or 14, whatever it was. Penn State is a fantastic home team on quite the winning streak at Beaver Stadium. And it was able to continue that and secure a perfect record again this year on Saturday when um, the Nebraska Cornhuskers came to town. Uh, Penn State won 56-44. That score is very, very misleading. Uh, we'll talk about why in a little bit. But uh, really, really productive day, uh, especially for the Nittany Lion offense. Penn State's offense, 609 yards of total offense. Trace McSorley, 24 for 36, 325 yards, with three touchdowns. He also added nine carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley, 17 carries, 158 yards, three touchdowns. Most, if not all of that, was in the first half. Jawan Johnson broke 100 receiving yards for the first time in his career and also had five receptions. Mike Gusecki, his last game in Beaver Stadium, uh, four receptions, 47 yards, and a pair of scores. Brandon Smith, Jason, Cabinda clean things up on defense. Uh, Tyler Davis went 8 for 8 on uh, extra points, which is very cool. Uh, and yeah, it was it, it was a game that Penn State co- pretty much could have named the score they wanted. Uh, at least I think they could have named the score they wanted. I think they really took the foot off the gas in the second half, put the second stringers in in the third quarter. That led to some stuff. We're going to talk about some of that stuff. But before we do that, Nick, uh, the question we start with every week, what did we learn from Penn State's 56-14 to win over Nebraska? I think, one, we need to be – I mean, at this point in the season, it doesn't really matter whether how much you take away from a game because the season's almost over. But um, it's important to remember that Nebraska's defense is trash and is very, very, very bad and has been all year. They've had a weird – they're ranked uh, 89th in defensive S&P+. Plus. They've had a weird – I forgot that they beat Arkansas State. Arkansas State's a top 25 team by S&P+, Plus, but that's beside the point. I think we learned that Penn State's offense is still very much Penn State's offense and that when they get in a rhythm, they can pretty much be unstoppable because they were for that first half. And – it, for purposes of talking about what to take from this game, this game ended at halftime. I like I know Nebraska scored what thirty four points in the second half, um, with twenty of those points yeah. coming in like three minutes at the end of the game against second and third stringers. Nothing that happened in that second half mattered. It was none of there was clearly clearly they were not worried about 
about continuing or going for um, trying to keep them off the board as much. They were not worried about keeping starters in as long. They wanted to get guys playing time, seniors like Andrew Nelson. They wanted to get him in the game, get guys like Nick Bowers in the game. So I, I'm not taking anything from that second half. For the people screaming on Twitter about how this hurts our playoff chances, no, it doesn't because the people on the committee are not computers. They're people and anyone with eyes. And I think it kind of gets undersold that they actually are pretty thought. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of times their process can be questioned, but they're definitely thorough with what they do. So it's not like they're going to just see 44 points and be like, ah, drop them down. No, it's not going to happen. Um, so it, people getting upset about that, I think is stupid and you're, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more. about that a little bit more extensively, yeah. uh, a little later on, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, I think the main thing is that this is still a really, really, really good football team. And Nebraska is not a good football team, but when you have an offense clicking the way Penn State's was in that first half, and when you have a defense playing at as high of a level as they were in the first half, what they had like 77 yards in the first half Nebraska did? That's so, something ridiculous like that, yeah. Yeah, like this is still a very, very good football team. I think a lot of us were surprised when we saw that number 10 ranking last week. Um, but not surprised in that they aren't deserving of it, just surprising they moved up. But this is a very good football team, and I think they do belong in that top ten of college football. We'll see if they stay there this week, but I think what we saw in the first half, we saw a top ten team. Yeah, and when I'm actually really glad that you mentioned the whole uh, surprise by the top ten thing I, for you know some uh, reasons that, you know, we just in the time we weren't able to record a podcast late last week, and you and I, we had the same reaction we saw Penn State was in the top 10, which was how? Like, Penn State just hasn't really looked like a top 10 football, or, or hasn't looked like a top 10 football team through our eyes, but I think that's also because, you know, we see the issues better than anyone else does. If you are some person who... As you know, part of the committee or something like that, you see that Penn State uh, has had, in in its wins, it's had one win that wasn't two, you know, two scores or more, a double-digit victory or more. Uh, or you see that their two losses are both on the road, both against teams that are really, really good, and they were by a combined of four points. You see just what this team is, which is, you know, it's really good. Yeah, it has some flaws, but it's still a really, really good football team. And like you said, that was on display against Nebraska. The big thing that stood out for me was, and this was something that James Franklin alluded to during the week. He thought the offensive line was going to have a pretty, uh, he, he thought the offensive line was going to have a good week because they heard a lot of the chatter over the last couple of weeks. They read a lot of the criticism. And he said, I think they're going to be able to come out and play well. And we saw that in the rushing attack. Penn State, 35 rushes, uh, 263 yards, average of 7.5 yards per rush. And it wasn't just Saquon Barkley, even though Saquon Barkley had a really good game. McSorley, 46 yards on the ground. Miles Sanders, four carries, 28 yards. Tommy Stevens, five carries, 31 yards. Penn State was able to get the job done on the ground. And it gave us a glimpse of something that we've wanted to see. I, I mean, when I'm looking at Penn State's schedule, we've wanted to see this since 
you know, since the Michigan game, well, I mean, we haven't seen it consistently this season. Like Indiana, Northwestern, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Rutgers have all kind of sold out to stop Saquon Barkley. But we saw what it looks like when Saquon Barkley is behind an offensive line that can block for him consistently. And it's the kind of thing like, yeah, we're going to sit back and say, man, if only we had that against Ohio State, only had that against Michigan State, whatever. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that while he wasn't listed on the senior day thing, this was probably his last game at Penn State. It was a great way to see him kind of get that send-off. And we'll talk about the other players uh, who were officially part of Senior Day a little bit later. But the fact that Saquon Barkley's final game, final home game, ended in a way that was pretty special. I mean, that you know, warms my heart and it makes me super happy that that's going to be the last taste that a lot of Penn State fans have when it comes to his career in Happy Valley. Yeah, I, I think this game was kind of like a microcosm of his entire season in a way because we I mean we we saw earlier in the year when he gets a hole he has zero problems getting through it like it's 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 crazy like it doesn't take a lot it takes such a small amount of space for him to be able to go with the ball there was at least three or four times that he just took off because he actually had an opening to run through and it's unfortunate that he hasn't had those openings to run through for the last I don't know I mean maybe four or five weeks at this point and when he doesn't I mean it's and it's no different with any running back no running back can do what they need to do without the offensive line opening up holes it's the position most dependent on somebody else kind of paving the way football's a team game but running back can't reach their full potential unless they have their offensive linemen doing the work in front of them and all year long when they when they've been able to give him something he's been able to take and run with it literally but when they're not able to open up holes for him there's like it's it's when there's that's when there's three dudes in the backfield on him not even giving him a chance to get going so it's it, it was it was interesting because we kind of saw both sides of the coin. Because, yeah, the blocking was a lot better in this game. But there were definitely still times where he was completely bottled up. I, he only had, what, seven, 17 carries. Um, I just rewatched the first half before we got on and started recording here. There were at least three or four in that first half where um, there were three or four guys in the backfield as he was taking the handoff. So it definitely... It definitely had kind of both sides of the equation, and it was it was nice to see that he, because I think some fans have almost forgotten how dangerous of a runner he is when he actually has space. So it was nice to see him um, get a chance to actually take a handoff with some holes in front of him. And I, I mean, it's it's disappointing that we didn't get to see that more over this year, but he still even considering the circumstances this was probably his final home game just an amazing way for him to go out I mean 158 yards on the ground 66 more through the air just um, I mean this is just he's an unbelievably special football player and he's the kind of guy that um, everyone listening to this will be telling their kids about in 
15, 20 years. So it, it, it it's I'm glad that we got a chance to see him do what he is able to do in this probable last game at Beaver Stadium. Yeah, and we've I mean, we've talked about this a lot with Saquon, and again we'll, we're doing a mailbag. Uh, if by some miracle you didn't read the title of this episode, there is a mailbag portion of this, and one of the questions is about him. But like I just looked it up, he has uh, he is actually averaging more yards per carry than he did last season. Uh, last year was five point five. This year is five point eight. He's a fourteen rushing touchdowns on the year. Um, he actually his freshman year. He had 182 yards, uh, carries for 1,076 yards and seven touchdowns. This year, he is at 183, 1,500, uh, 1,057 and 14. And that doesn't count the fact that he has also been a much better receiver this year. So, like, he's crazy. He's ridiculous. Um, how, I, how much is he off the record? Um, I don't have that in front of me. Right, I will I'll, make I'll it, it up, a point. I'll look it up. Yeah, I'll make it a point to look it up uh, a little bit later. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, he, he's ridiculous. I mean, I, I have mentioned on here a few times, uh, and I've mentioned on Twitter and whatnot. I didn't see Kijana Carter. Uh, I didn't see LeVar Arrington. Uh, they were both, you know, it was a little young for them. They were also before my time as a Penn State fan. I know you're the same way, Nick. I really, really struggle to see how anyone just all time at Penn State is better than him. Uh, I'm sure there's, uh, for lack of a better word, some old timers who are going to be uh, going to be listening to this who are a little bit upset, but he's he's insane. Um, he, I, I he think is, this he's two two hundred and ninety eight yard. Nope, no, no, I read that wrong. He's 300, 303 yards away from Royster. Okay, so work on uh, getting him a nice two hundred and yard a two hundred yard rushing performance against uh, Maryland, which I will in one second tell you the uh, caliber of their rushing defense. But I know for a fact it's not especially good. Although if there's one thing I trust is that DJ Durkin is probably going to put together some kind of rushing attack to like hyper focus on stopping him. Yeah, they're sixty eighth. They're right up the middle nationally. They're very good at preventing big plays. Um, on the ground. We'll, again, we'll talk about that all later. But let's, uh, let's go into the mailbag, Nick. Um, sure. I know you're going to want to interject with a question, so just do that whenever. But uh, start with the first one, which is something... Th- this is the thing I wanted to talk about, and I was really happy that someone asked us this. Uh, from at TSS18... Should we be worried about the defense of the future being killed in the second half? It was essentially JV versus varsity, but still concerning. No, and this is actually a thing that I've seen pop up a lot. And I want to address that when you put backups in against basically any first team offense, no matter the caliber of competition in Nebraska by S&P Plus, they're 70th so they're right around average uh for college football when you put backups in against any starting unit it's going to have some struggles and it bears repeating that nebraska didn't start really scoring on penn state's second when we're just looking through the prism of the fourth quarter because that's what everyone talks about uh penn state was up 42 24 at the end of the third quarter 
then holds Nebraska scoreless for the first nearly the first nine-ish minutes of the frame. What everyone talks about when they are concerned is the last three scores that Nebraska had to make it 56 to 44. It took a little bit of time for Nebraska's offense to really get into a rhythm against Penn State. And Nebraska's offense was also running, running an offense. They were targeting Stanley Morgan Jr., their best player, who's a very good receiver, going up against young and inexperienced cornerback, cornerbacks. And they were mostly just throwing the ball up to him and telling him to go get him, get it. So I'm not too worried. Uh, I think if Penn State starters were in, that's a completely different conversation. But since it was Penn State's backups going against Nebraska's first-team offense, an offense that was kind of just playing with reckless abandon and chucking the ball up everywhere and trying its hardest to make the score look less embarrassing than it was, also when you add in the fact that Penn State kind of took its foot off the gas in the uh, in the third quarter, I, I know a good number of the starters stayed in. But when you take Saquon Barkley out for the game, which I think Penn State did after its first or second, third quarter drive, you're basically saying we're happy with coasting to the end here. I don't think it's too big of a concern. I know there are a lot of people who are upset about it. A lot of people wanted to see Penn State cover. Whatever. I think you're probably just, you're a little angry right now. Whatever. It's not something to be too terribly concerned about because for the first half, when Penn State starters were in and they were really locked in, the only ways that Nebraska was able to score was on a fluky bounce on a punt that hit a Penn Stater. And I forget what the other one was, Nick. What was the other way that uh, Nebraska got the ball early on with a well, the, pretty short the field? First, the first way that they got short field was uh, Gillikin Shank. The second, That's right. the second That's was right. the bounce off McPherson. Yeah, and it was a 23-yard drive and a 36-yard drive that they, they were able to turn into 10 points, not even two touchdowns. They turned that into 10 points. So don't be worried. These are the kinds of things that really should happen when you're going first team against second team in a game situation. And it's meaningful reps and the opportunity to teach for Penn State's coaching staff, its defensive coaching staff. I'm not worried. I, I think that Penn State's going to be fine. I don't think most of those second teamers are going to need to do too terribly much for the rest of the year. And they're still going to have another 16 or some odd practices to, you know, for the bowl to hone those skills. And they're going to have the entire spring, the entire summer. And this is a point that they can use to teach. It's fine. Uh, Nick, what do you think? I mean, my first thought, if, if you're angry about this now, you're probably someone who's been uncontrollably angry about everything in the past few weeks and you're probably someone who is has been like has been complaining about Joe Moorhead too so if that if this made you angry you probably already were angry and we probably can't you're you're it. you're the fullback person you're the yeah. go under center person you're the uh you know Penn State allowed x points but they allowed a lot of yards that kind of thing yeah um, but my my issue with this question is the way like this the defense that came in in the second half is not like it very there's a lot of time before those guys are going to be starting it does just because they're the backups does not mean that they're the defense of the future a lot of those guys are never going to start and some of those guys are freshmen that I mean there, there's so much growth that happens even from freshman year to junior year, especially when you 
especially when the guys who didn't uh, come in as early enrollees, um, that's just even less time they've had a chance to be on campus for. But this, just because they're the backups doesn't mean that they're the future of the defense. There's a lot that's going to change from now until that point. A guy like Zach McPherson, like he looks like he has a really bright future and he's going to be a really great player, but he's not even going to start next year. He'll maybe start the year after that. Like it's just because they came in as the backups does not mean that they're going to be the starters next year and the next guys up. And you also have to consider that because they're backups, they play backup reps in practice. They don't play starter reps. They don't get to go against the starters as often. They are, end up, and a lot of those guys end up being on the scout team too. Like it's not, it it's not as simple as these. Like this this current alignment of those defensive players is not going to be what shows up next year when the defense takes the field. It's it's not taking that viewpoint is kind of ignoring a whole lot of other elements that go into training and building the team and it's it's for the lack of a better term it's a lazy viewpoint and in my opinion yeah and there was one thing that i thought was uh pretty interesting well two things i thought were pretty interesting one nebraska is pretty decent at throwing the ball they're 26 nationally when when tanner doesn't get when he doesn't have uh tons of pressure on him he's a good quarterback yeah and they're 11th in adjusted sack rate and again 26 in s&p plus tanner lee the big thing with him is turnovers well dating back to their game against uh illinois on september 29th he's turned the ball over four times three of them were in the same game to Northwestern. So it's not like Penn State was going up against an offense that is just completely hopeless. And the second thing that I found pretty interesting was, and this is 100% anecdotal, maybe it's just something I remember a little bit better than was actually the case, I don't know, was it seemed to me like uh, Nebraska was targeting guys in the passing game like Lamont Wade, like Tariq Castro-Fields. They were going at the young dudes with their, you know, upperclassmen uh, receivers. Stanley Morgan's a junior. D. Mornay Pearsonell is a senior. Like, those are the guys who they wanted to have attack Penn State. Like, Stanley Morgan, seven catches, 185 yards, and a touchdown. They're going to him. They're feeding their guy. And it happens to be against Penn State's second stringers. Like, I, it, it's, I know it kind of sounds defeatist. And I really don't want it to sound that way, but this is something that happens late in games when you've more or less taken your foot off the gas and decided, yeah, we just want to get the young guys a few reps. We don't really mind if we're, uh, you know, if we allow some points or we allow some yards, we want it to be a teaching moment and we want it to be an opportunity for them to uh, get a chance to work on some things on the field. So I'm not as concerned as I've seen a few people be, um, I think if Penn State starters stay in the game and play the entire game, they're not scoring more than 20 points on Penn State. Um, and again, it took them... I, I think a lot of people remember it a little more... Uh, as a little more of a prominent thing than it actually was because they scored three touchdowns in the final six minutes and 32 seconds of the game, which seems like a lot and it seems like a cause for concern. But second stringers... Whatever, I don't think it's a big concern. 
Um, moving on to the next question, and this is the Saquon Barkley question we were going to be asked. From at Ben Feller, is it normal to laugh like an idiot when Saquon Barkley does Saquon Barkley things? Give it to me straight, blog. Nick, I will let you take this one because I'm going to tell something of a story about uh, you know this game and watching Saquon Barkley and whatnot. I think my natural reaction every time, I think uh, over the last two years, I think every time that I've been at home watching, it's a little different in the stadium, but at home, when you see, whenever I see Barkley get space, I, I do start laughing. Like, it's, he's so much better than every other player he's on the field with when he's on the field that it, it really does look silly. Like, you're watching a created player go up against a computer-simulated defense when he gets a hole and when he's able to actually move around with the ball. He's just so incredibly explosive that it, it is just kind of funny to watch. Yeah, I so I uh, brought one of my friends to this game, one of my coworkers over at Uproxx, who uh, he's like tangentially aware of Penn State because, you know, they play in a bunch of big games. He's friends with me. Uh, he's friends with, uh, you know, former writer and pal of the site, Peter Burks, friends with another couple of Penn State people. Uh, and, you know, he's seen Saquon Barkley play and he knows, he's aware of how good Saquon Barkley is and he has watched him do what he could do. But when he was in the stadium watching him, and this is something that I did not, like, I kind of take it for granted at this point, but watching how fast he is and how strong he is and how just smart of a football player he is, we almost take that for granted. So when I read a Penn Stater asking us a question, like, is it normal to laugh like an idiot when Saquon to Saquon things? Like, I kind of say no, you know, it's not normal to laugh like that because we're just like, that's the norm for us there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times when he doesn't really have time to do terribly much, but the norm for Penn State football over the last three years has been Saquon Barkley is going to be jumping over dudes or Saquon Barkley is going to be running past dudes or Saquon Barkley is going to run into a few guys and then worm his way out and just bounce it and go two of those two of those touchdown runs from this game are going to end up on his um on the espn draft feature on draft day i I can hear i can hear it right now i can hear um gruden saying you know he can beat you with the speed on the outside and they'll show that first run and then there's the power and they'll show that sec that i think it was the third touchdown when he just kind of dragged the one dude um it just powered through with his lower body. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it, no, you, the normal reaction probably shouldn't be to laugh, but I think for Penn State fans, it probably, it's normal yeah. at this point. Yeah, it, like, it, it has to be stressed as many times as possible. Normal for Penn State the last few years has been the spectacular. That doesn't happen. That is not supposed to happen. And yet we've just gotten used to it. And it's why that you hear so many Penn State fans who might be a little bit worried about the running game next year without Saquon. Well, it's going to have Miles Sanders. He's a five-star recruit who's been awesome when he's touched the ball this year, uh, especially because he's uh, gotten rid of the case of fumble light. Well, he's only fumbled once this year, and Penn State was able to recover it. He's kind of got he's gotten the one hole that we've seen in his game out, and he's been really good this year. Andre Robinson, 
He hasn't carried the ball very much. 6.1 yards per carry. He's doing a good job when he does. They don't have to play Ricky Slade next year, but if they want to, Ricky Slade is a freak of nature. But having said all of that, Penn State is going to have a conventionally very good running game, I think, as opposed to the spectacular very good running game that we've gotten used to out of Saquon Barkley. And it's it's ridiculous. Like I I feel bad because I feel like I can't fully appreciate how good he is right now because the stuff that he is able to do is just, it's gotten to be second nature. It's gotten to be to the point where when he has a game where he isn't able to rip off a run of 30 plus yards, like the Rutgers game, it feels a little weird or a little disappointing. And it's it's almost unfair to him, but it's also, it's just special. It's something that I'm, like, I just don't know if I will ever be able to, I will ever see that again as a fan. And when you watch Penn State games, primarily in the stadium with people who don't watch every Penn State game and don't see all the flaws that Penn State could have, it's it's something incredible. So he's great. I love him. Uh, Let's talk Thanksgiving go- sides. I was going to say, I hope he goes to the NFL and he has a very long career and I'm buying his jersey no matter where he goes. Same with Mike Gusecki. I want him to end up on the Buffalo Bills as long as they, uh, you know, never play Nathan Peterman again. I will forever stand by um, Gasicki to the Texans because I will always remember when James Franklin got hired and I was, because that was when Gasicki was a uh, commit at that point. And I was texting around with a bunch of the commits asking their thoughts, like, are you going to stay? Like, what do you think about James Franklin and all that? And when I texted Gasicki and we talked for, and I just said like, yeah, yeah I'm going to stick. And then I said, um, did you have any like final conversations with Bill O'Brien or anything after this? And he said, yeah, he told me in four years he'll draft me. So we'll meet up again there. So it, uh, I, hold, hold on, Nick. I'm, I'm just picking up this uh, name that you just dropped. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It, it's re- you got to really get down there on the floor <laughs> to get it. Um, but yeah, I really want that to happen just because that that would be really cool. For sure. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about Thanksgiving sides. Yeah, our so, pal, so our pal at Worms wanted to know our top five Thanksgiving sides. So. Yes, friend slash number one enemy Ben Lerman um, asking the blog what top five Thanksgiving sides are, and you answered from the blog or as yourself. Oh uh, no, from the blog, and this is Ken, and it's uh, mac and cheese, mashed potatoes, stuffing, and then mac and cheese again, and then cranberry sauce. I I have issues with this list. Now, I well, love... Well, uh, no, it's fine if you have issues with it. I'm just saying you're wrong. I love mac and cheese just as much as everybody else. But if I'm thinking Thanksgiving sides, my first thought is not mac and cheese. And that's not to say that it cannot be a delicious inclusion. But if we're ranking Thanksgiving sides, to me, that says, like, that that when we think of... When you think of a... Like if you Google, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this right now. I'm gonna Google Thanksgiving meal and pull up images and see what happens. And I bet there is no mac and cheese there. Thanksgiving meal images. Yeah, no mac and cheese. No mac and cheese. I it's I when like that's it goes really well with all those foods. I'll give you that, but. If you're if you're saying uh, Thanksgiving Halloween sides, if you're saying if you Google Thanksgiving side dishes, literally the fifth image result is macaroni and cheese. I I googled Thanksgiving meal. I I don't. Yeah. Well, you're looking for the wrong thing, Nick. 
You're okay. looking for meal, not side dishes. Mac and cheese is an excellent side, but it cannot be above mashed potatoes or stuffing on a power ranking list of Thanksgiving sides. There is too much variance in what is considered stuffing. It is too inconsistent from one end to the other end. It's either really, really good or really, really bad. It sometimes has meat in it. It sometimes does not have meat in it. But everything can be really, really good or really, really bad. Oh, no, I don't. I completely agree with that. But if you're going, like, there are just so many different definitions of what stuffing is that it, like, you cannot have an accurate represent. There's just too much on the uh, spectrum of good to bad stuffing that I do not think it could be too terribly high up there. What? No. No. What? No. Just. It is a, it's a top. It's a top three. Choose the stuffing you want to choose for your list. It's your it's list. It's a top three thing, but yeah, and mac and cheese is on there twice because mac and cheese is <sighs> a Thanksgiving side. And you left off cornbread and... <sighs> Come on. Cornbread's great, but if someone makes bad cornbread, it's the worst thing at a Thanksgiving dinner. Everyone but you can this. make bad mac and cheese? Yeah, bad mac and cheese is still awesome. It's bad mac and cheese. Are you really going to tell me bad mac and cheese is better than mashed potatoes, stuffing, cornbread... Yes, cranberry sauce. I am. Is whatever. I'm, I'm not huge on cranberry sauce, I but am. like, like sweet potatoes, corn. Yeah, I said cornbread. Um, what else is there? I feel like we're missing like a big, a big side, a big normal side. Yeah, because you're getting hung up on one thing no. that is also <sighs> correct. All right. This, this is All right. this is going nowhere. Whatever. And, you know, it's going to frustrate yeah, I, me. Yeah, I know. N- N- Nick's wrong. Don't listen to him. Moving oh on. Oh, my God. Uh, the question three uh, from at Greg B. Gormley. A question actual three, not uh, the little intermission we just took from question answering. Greg B. Gormley. What should we expect next year? And this is something I don't really like talking about. I don't like talking too terribly much uh, about next season when there's still – two more games left in this year. And one of those games is probably going to be a new year six bowl. So I, uh, I mean, I'll, I'm happy. I happily will discuss this. I'm happily going to discuss this, but it's just something I'm not really used to discussing and don't totally like discussing. But having said that, Nick, I still think, and I, you know, I'll pull Penn State schedule up here in a sec, but I still think this is a team that it can win the big 10 next year. Like it's not, I think we get so hung up on losing Saquon and then losing a few pieces on defense that we forget that it's still going to be like a really, 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 really good football team. When I think about next year's team, I I mean, offensively, the offensive line should be better. I think in turn, when you combine that with the fact that Miles Sanders is going to be a really good running back, I think the running game overall, it may not be quite as exciting and I, it's it'll be sad because we'll miss Saquon but I think the running game actually has a really really good chance to be better next year um, the passing game will probably will probably get a little bit worse uh, just because losing Gesicki and Hamilton and Blacknell will be tough but then again you also have a year older a year stronger you're more experienced Juwan Johnson you'll have Freak of, na- freak of nature, Justin Shorter coming in. Um, maybe Irvin Charles. I know he didn't. He was maybe suspended for this game. Maybe just didn't play. We're not really, not really totally sure. Um, so that could be a fluid situation that we'll have to watch moving forward. But um, 
whoever emerges as the tight end. Maybe it'll be Nick Bowers after his quick and little. There's going to be a lot of talent at tight end next year. Yes. A lot of raw talent, not like fully formed talent, but a lot of talent. Yeah. So the passing game might take a small step back, but I think the big questions for next year and what's going to decide next year will be the defense. And I, I, one of the one of the issues with Penn State's defense in their bigger games this year was their lack of pressure they were able to generate and and the lack of pressure they were, um, or the pressure they were unable to generate with the defensive line. I I feel really really good about Sharif Miller next year. I think this offseason will be really big for him and he he didn't have much of an impact against Ohio State or Michigan State, but I think he's obviously he's clearly has flashed plenty to have a pretty bright future ahead of him. Losing uh, Parker Cawthorn and Curtis Cawthorn, though, is going to be tough. And I it, maybe Buckles slides back inside next year, and maybe a guy like Shaka Tony takes a bigger share of the defensive end. I mean, it's there's a lot going to be a lot of moving parts there, but and if they're, they're able also- to... I was going to say, there are also guys like Shane Simmons and Ethan yep. Gross Matos. And uh, the, the things are looking good for at least two of the three big defensive line recruits who are still mm-hmm. uh, floating around. So, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, if Micah Parsons does end up back here, he would it'd be shocking to see him not play next year. Put him in middle linebacker! Yeah. I mean, he could. He's... He's a crazy athlete. Um, but, yeah, I think linebacker is going to kind of decide next season because I think it's linebacker has quietly been the biggest weakness of the team. Well, biggest weakness of the defense this year. And losing Cabinda. Cabinda has been a really good player for Penn State, and he's been a, an incredible leader. I've, his, his probably greatest value to the team has been as a leader and as um, – both as a physical and emotional and vocal leader, all those things. But I, he he definitely does have his limitations as a linebacker. He's not the fastest dude. So if they can get a, if they can find a good middle linebacker in among what they have now, then the linebackers could end up being a strength. If assuming Manny Bowen returns, which I don't know, with how many times he's gotten suspended, may not be a good a good bet, but I, I do think it'll come down to linebackers next year. I I agree. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, I think there's enough talent uh, along the defensive line. I mean, I think losing the Cawthorns is something that is going to hurt Penn State, but you can put Kevin Gibbons in there. You're going to have uh, and Tyrell Chavis. I want to give him some credit. He's a, he's played some good football for Penn State, too. He's been great this ha- year. Yeah. You have guys like Ellison Jordan. You have uh, Fred Hansard, who seems like the kind of guy who physically can step in right away and do something. I don't know how good it would, he would be, but in terms of like production, but in terms of just like eating up space. I mean, right now, dude, six three three ten. Like that's a big old dude. There's Corey Bolds, who another guy who has some beef on him. You can throw him up and throw him in the middle, see what happens. Same with if they're going to move a guy like Ryan Buckles inside uh, and to be clear, this is all speculation. Like we do not know this stuff for sure. But then along the defensive line, Damian Bar, a uh, defensive end, Damian Barber is going to be, uh, you know, one year in the program, one year physically more mature. And if that leads to playing, that leads to playing. Torrance Brown was a red shirt junior this year. 
I don't know uh, what his status is coming back, but if he were to come back, Penn State has the guy who was coming into this season as its number one defensive end back. Shane Simmons and Ryan Buckle, depending on what they do with him, Shaka Tony, Yitor Grossmato, Sharif Miller, Daniel Joseph, that is a nasty group of defensive ends along with a potentially young talent that could be coming in. The secondary, you have to figure out who you're putting back at safety. I think they will be fine. Um, I like Aaron Monroe and Garrett Taylor a lot. I don't know where Nick Scott would fit into that equation, but that's three guys who I think can do some stuff, and they've also got a few freshmen who will be coming in. And I don't know, maybe Aishim Young is able to play right away. Maybe uh, Ashim. Ashim, my bad. Maybe uh, uh, Isaiah Humphreys, correct, Nick? Yeah. Maybe Isaiah Humphrey's able. I don't know. Like, it cornerback is going to be awesome. Like, you're losing a very, very good football player in Grant Haley and another very good football player in Christian Campbell. Amani Oruwari, a fifth year senior. Tariq Castro Fields, another year on him. Uh, Grant, ha- Grant Haley's going to be gone. Donovan Johnson. John Reed. John Reed's back. Omaha Wade, Zach McFear. Like, there's talent. There is talent all over the defense, and it's just a matter. You of, get you get the best corner in the entire in the entire program back. John yeah. Reed's a stud. Yeah. John Reed is a stud. Linebacker, I agree with your concerns. I think if they find a middle linebacker, whether that is a guy like uh, maybe it's Jake Cooper, maybe it's Ellis Brooks. I don't know who that is. I think they have some talent outside linebacker, and I think they will be fine there. But it all depends on finding that guy in the middle, not just you know hit some dudes, but to but but to get the defense organized and get everyone in position and do that kind of stuff. Then on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think the offense is going to be better next year. I think the offensive line takes a step forward. I think that losing Brendan Mann is going to be bad, but whoever they're going to be putting in at guard, whether it's a guy who is in the program right now and is not, you know, not playing a you know, it doesn't have a ton of responsibility yet, like a Michael Mennett, uh, like a CJ Thorpe, like uh, Mike Miranda. I, I don't know, Mike Miranda or Zach Simpson, whomever it is. I think they're going to be fine. Either it's like shipping Connor McGovern over. I don't know. I figuring out your tackle situation. I think Ryan Bates being hurt sucks, but it also got some really, really important reps in for Will Fries. Penn State's tackles are going to be good. And I think Penn State's offensive line, taking a step forward, I don't know how big of a step forward. I think a step forward, and even if it can just be a consistently average line, which we have said since, uh, you know, the Herb Hand days, that's huge. And that's something that can make life easier on Trace McSorley, who has been a top 10 quarterback in college football this year. He's going to be losing some really good receiving options, but like we said, there's going to be a ton of talent at tight end. And then at receiver, Juwan Johnson's going to be back. Irvin Charles, maybe. You didn't mention DeAndre Tompkins. DeAndre Tompkins, probably going to be back unless, you know, he decides to do the grad transfer thing, which I really hope he doesn't. Brandon Polk in a bigger role. Matt Hippenhammer's going to be there. They have Justin Shorter coming in. Who knows if they're able to get, like, a Solomon Ennison. Like, there's talent. And we already touched on the running game a little bit earlier. I don't think it's going to have that one guy who kind of takes and wins the running back job, but I think it's going to have a really good stable of running backs. I think looking at next year's schedule, additionally, uh, 
Appalachian State, which I don't know why Penn State scheduled them. I'm very mad about that right now. But App State, at Pitt, Kent State, at Illinois, Ohio State bye week. Michigan State at Indiana, Iowa at Michigan, Wisconsin at Rutgers, Maryland. Their schedule, I think, is going to be tougher next year, but it's also tougher in a way that if they can get through at 11 and 1 or even at like a 10 and 2, as long as it's an impressive 10 and 2, this team could have a really good shot at the playoff again. Like, Penn State is going to win. I, I would be very surprised if they do not win double-digit games again next year. And it's going to be fine. But uh, I think we shouldn't dwell too terribly much longer on this, even though it's, you know, it's fun to talk about the future, even though it's not my favorite thing to do. Let's end with our uh, final question. It is from at PSU underscore since birth, who wants to know, uh, one second here. My computer's being stupid. Okay. I have it. How special it. Don't is this? Worry. How special is this senior class's home record? Considering they came to PSU thinking they may never play a meaningful game. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the kind of thing that I when when we were still at BSD, I wrote something after uh, Christian Hackenberg left, where. The big thing that was sitting in uh, the back of my mind when his career was happening was that he came to Penn State without any expectation of ever playing in a bowl game, which for a player like Christian Hackenberg was completely ridiculous. He's the kind of player who should have gone to a school with the understanding that, hey, I'm going to be able to compete for a Heisman. I'm able to compete for a national title, whatever. Looking at this Penn State team, Brendan Mayen, Deshaun Hamilton, Andrew Nelson, Curtis Cothran, Parker Cothran, uh, were all members of that same class that came to this team without any kind of expectation that, you know, they're in that same 2013 recruiting class that had no... Uh, no hope or thought that any time down the line they are going to have a chance to compete for anything other than Penn State. Uh, 2014 class, you know, James Franklin's in at that time. It's a little bit of a different vibe around Penn State. At that point, you're thinking, okay, when you're a junior or a senior, whatever it would have ended up being, uh, I think this would have been but the first those year. But those Bulldog. guys were also... The thing that strikes me about that 2014 class is that, yeah, they they at least knew that by the time they were towards the end of – well, at least at the time, by the time they got towards the end of their career, then they would be playing in bowl games. But they also committed yeah. – they also committed to a school coming off of a seven-win season with a brand-new head coach. Like, that's yeah. not yeah. – that, that takes yeah, Don't get me guts. wrong. Like, like, some of the kids who were in that class uh, – like just looking down the list, you know, Grant Haley was committed to Franklin at a uh, at Vandy. There are a few other kids who were like that, but for the most part, it's uh, you know, a kid like Mike Kosecki. Mike Kosecki could have gone to any school in the country he wanted to, but he decided he wanted to go to Penn State because he wanted that chance during his senior year to play for something special, and in the meantime, just play 
fun football and buy into the promise that James Franklin was selling them. Same with a guy like Saeed Blacknell. Could have gone anywhere, did that. Uh, came to Penn State. Marcus Allen, he's going to turn into a pro, and he has kind of been uh, the player other than Saquon Barkley that everyone thinks of when they think of Penn State football being fun. And you just go down the list. You get a Troy, guy like Troy Apke. You get a guy like uh, Grant Haley, Jason Cabinda, Christian Campbell. Penn State got football players in that 2014 class. And I'm going to find the list here in a minute, and I'm going to pull it up, and I'm just going to read off the list of names of players who came to this program at a time when you really should not have came to this program, and yet they decided that it was going to be worth it, and this is something that it's important to be part of Penn State while that's happening, regardless of where the program is nationally, what people think about it, anything like that. Yeah. Do you want me to read off the 2014 class? Uh, no, uh, not the 2014 class. Just the list of uh, the list of players that they said they were going to honor on a uh, on senior day. I'm trying to see if I can find it anywhere. Uh, oh, and, yeah, um, you, you know what I mean. Like, because the yeah. 2014 class is like Trace McSorley, and listen, we love Trace McSorley, but we don't. Uh, we we have another year, hopefully, before we have to say, "Hey, Trace McSorley." Uh, yeah, here, do, do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Marcus Allen, Troy Apke, Brendan Brosnan, Saeed Blacknell, Jason Cabinda, Christian Campbell, Tyrell Chavis, Curtis Cawthorn, Parker Cawthorn, Desi Davis, Tyler Davis, Billy Fessler, Mike Gesicki, Grant Haley, Deshaun Hamilton, Cody Hodgins, Brendan Mann, Josh McPherson, Andrew Nelson, Tom Pancos, Danny Pascarello, Brandon Smith, and Mitchell Vallone. Yeah, I and mean, when you're going down that list of names, it's a lot of guys who um, they came to Penn State and they had they made really, really serious uh, they had really serious impacts on the program, and it's the kind of thing that uh, that we are going to look back on, and they are part of the. Uh, the the core of Penn State football and the guys who built or were part of building something special here, in addition to last year's class, because you know last year's senior class was also incredibly important, in having that sense of stability and whatnot for Penn State. And Deshaun Hamilton is going to be all over the record books. Marcus Allen is going to be one of those guys who reps Penn State for the rest of his life in the NFL. Marcus Allen is going to be the kind of guy who, when he reads his name on Thursday on Thursday night football or Monday night football or Sunday night football or any football game where they say, name your alma mater, he's going to have a massive smile on his face when he says Penn State. But it's just guy after guy after guy who had such an important role on the last couple of years of Penn State football, Nick. And I, I do not think we can overstate the importance that this team had, I mean, this group of guys had in making Penn State football into one of the one of the best programs in college football again. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, regrettably, I cannot tell you much about Desi Davis or um, Mitchell Valone but, or Cody Hodgins, but you could go down the list and talk about important things that every single other guy on that list has done, um, including a guy like Billy Fessler. I think it's uh, it's underrated how important the backup quarterbacks are for a system like Joe Moorhead's where you have to be able to call out the plays flawlessly in a way that the quarterback can read them easily. So even though, yeah, and then he was the holder this year too. So um, all of those guys have had huge impacts for Penn State. And yeah, like you said, they're, they're what they have done over the past four or five years is help get Penn State back to where Penn State should be based on what Penn State is, what the kind of what the brand is, what the entity is, what they're capable of being. This is what Penn State is supposed to be, but they were a long, a long way away from that. And the work that these guys did to get them back to that place cannot be cannot be understated. It's it's a really, really special group of football. The last two years, last year's senior day, this year's senior day, um, the guy but the guys before that even, like this this has been a very all of these senior days over the past few years have been tough because it's yep. uh, Penn State fans and anyone that ha- is associated with Penn State in any way that everything that happened, um, it it didn't matter if you were connected to the football team or not. Everything that happened, if you said you went to Penn State or said something about Penn State, everybody knew what happened in the scandal, and it was an immediate oh, like if you mentioned Penn State in some way, that was the immediate reaction because of what happened. And yeah, I mean, you and you and I did not grow up in Penn State families. If we said we went, we were Penn State students to like a cousin who we hadn't seen in a while, that was not the end of the conversation about our school. Yeah, exactly. But because it was a problem that shouldn't have been about the football team itself, but it was, it ended up being a problem about the football team, according to all the stuff that came out and the way it was framed. Their now rise back to being what they're supposed to be being what they're supposed to be has i mean that it yeah no no one is ever going to completely get away from what happened and no matter what there will always be people out there that respond to something you put about Penn State on Twitter and say something about child rape or things of that nature and that that'll never go away but because of what these players did and because of how they did it like there, there are a few suspensions here and there with some guys, but for the most part, you, the guys that are in the NFL now that were there these here for the past five or whatever years, you never hear anything but good things about them on and off the field. Guys like Adrian Amos, um, guys like I mean, people are going to be raving about Saquon Barkley off the field for the next however many months now going into draft day. So it's not only the way they were able to lead on the field and the way they were able to bring this team back to the national conversation, but just the way that they were able to do it while, at least from the public's viewpoint, which is really all that matters in this situation, doing it with such class and doing it while being such great people. This is all of these guys that have played for Penn State since... Um, and I'm not not excluding anyone else who will play after or played before, but this group of guys that played from 2012 to now is a really, really, really special group of football players, and everyone associated with the university owes them 
a great a great debt of, debt of uh gratitude for sure and i want to just shout out uh specifically one more time uh brandon mann Deshaun hamilton andrew nelson curtis cothran uh parker cothran the guys who were commits in that 2013 class there was zero reason they should have came to penn state uh and the fact that they came and they had a sense of stability, especially with a guy like Mayan, who I think, um, you know, is part of that core group of players who helped hold that class together. It, I, I think every Penn State fan is forever in their debt to an extent. And one more guy who we need to shout out. Um, there's no chance that he is listening to this. Uh, although, Alex, I know you're listening to this and it is your responsibility to make sure he is aware of this. Uh, Adam Brenneman, uh, his college football career uh, came to an end uh, this past weekend against BYU. Uh, UMass is not going to be going bowling this year. Uh, they ended up going four and seven. Oh wait, no, they play. Uh, oh, they play FIU uh, next week. So they have one more game left. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. One more game. It's on uh, December 2nd against FIU. Probably going to lose that one. Uh, wait, no. They're, I'm thinking of somebody else. Never mind. They might lose that one. Who knows? Uh, but Adam Brenneman, what he did for Penn State on the field as a football player when he was in high school as a recruit, um, just the class that he carried himself with, He's someone who I'm very upset was unable to finish his Penn State career here. Uh, he is someone who I think above basically any other player, I think every Penn State fan, he and Hackenberg are kind of the two guys that I hope when we look back on 2013, while we should pay respects to everyone, they're the two guys who I think were the big ones. Um, I... I'm very upset he didn't get a proper senior day at Penn State, but I could not be happier that he got the opportunity to head to UMass, uh, show some flashes of why everyone thought he had the potential to be the best tight end in America. And I'm very sad that his career is ending. I have no idea if he's going to go to the NFL next or if he's going to try and get into politics or something. But um, yeah, Adam Brenneman's college football career is coming to an end in uh, in about a week and a half. And I think every Penn State fan, on the event that you have nothing else to do on December 2nd because you don't want to watch Penn's, uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin play for the Big Ten, try and find wherever that UMass FAU game is going to be so we can watch Adam Brennan one last time. So I think that will be really cool. Yeah. Also, shout out Tyler Ferguson, Richie Anderson, yeah, Nico Robinson, Tanner Hartman, and let's see, Michael O'Connor, um, Troy Reader, Noah Bay, Daquan Worley, Antoine White, and Chance Sorrell as well. All those guys committed yeah. 2013, 2014, didn't end, or, well, didn't end up being there on senior day last year this year but also important guys yeah chance chance got married uh, uh engaged yes uh, he did last week so yeah good for him yeah 
Uh, I think that's it for this edition of Royal Lions Radio. As always, thank you very much for listening. Uh, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, subscribe while you're over there. Say some nice things. All that. There are the various podcast platforms you know that we have. Uh, subscribe to us on there. Buy some shirts. Follow us on Twitter at ROR blog. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. And yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing a few more of these this year. So hopefully Penn State's able to go out with a bang and let me go on the record as saying I want to go to the Peach Bowl and I want to spend some time in Atlanta. So yeah, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Nick Polak, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Why don't you turn that frizz down? Upside Disney. <laughs>